0: Hello, my name is Maria Moriyama, and I haven't seen my daughter since 2019 in February. And this is my story.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, Maria. My name is Danielle Dower. I'm co-founder of Find My Parent, and I'm thrilled to speak with Maria here today to tell her story about her daughter abducted in Japan. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that we are currently conducting a campaign targeting the U.S. ambassador to Japan and asking him and all other decision makers to stand up for our children abducted in Japan. And we need your support to make sure our voices are heard by those. Who have the power to make change for our children. If you'd like to participate in this campaign, please go to our website, findmyparent.org. And at the bottom of our landing page, you'll see a banner with the picture of Rahm Emanuel, the U.S. Ambassador to Japan. Please click on that and tell your story. Rest assured that your emails will get directly to him and other decision-makers in power so they can know what's happening in Japan. I'm now gonna hand it over to Maria who would like to share a bit of her story at the beginning in Japanese to reach Japanese speakers and make sure that they're educated and aware of the situation in Japan. After that, we'll return back to English and the interview will be conducted in English.
0: Thank you. 2018年 9月娘は高校 18 私の答え、え、これで語る法律、それ that's Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Maria.
1: So Maria, if we could just start by you telling us a bit more about yourself and your children.
0: Absolutely. So I studied at Durham University in England at the Department of East Asian Studies. There I studied Japanese with management when I was young. And I spent a year at Kumamoto University as an exchange student part of my degree, and I missed my future husband. And when I had one graduating, uh, we decided to live on Kyushu in Kumamoto uh, because I spoke Japanese a bit, and uh, my husband at the time didn't speak any English, so we made that choice. Well, uh, little by little, well, basically, uh, we had four children. Most of the time, we lived out in the country uh, near my husband's family, and I was busy raising our children. My husband at the time worked for a company. I homeschooled partly, and we had Japanese and international friends. And I got involved with, well, basically environmental activities uh, together with other families. We grew wheat and I learned how to make pickles and how to pickle vegetables that we had grown in a traditional Japanese way, being taught by my Japanese friend grandmothers.
1: Wow, that's that's pretty amazing, pretty cool. So and, and tell me a bit about your children, if you like. Your four children, yes?
0: Yes. So first we had one daughter and then we had a son. My daughter went to an international kindergarten downtown Kumamoto. It was a long drive, but I did, at that time I didn't really have uh, Japanese friends and I felt a bit lonely sometimes. So actually I wanted her to learn about Christmas <laughs> as well. So she went to that kindergarten when and my son did for a while but then our third daughter was born and at that time I got to know because thanks to uh, the local school where my children attended at the time I got to know Japanese families and made friends with Japanese moms and so my third and my fourth children they went to the local uh, Japanese kindergarten So that's how it was. Those were changes that we made together. And basically everything was fine. Uh, My husband worked a lot. Uh, I worked a lot at home and I was happy that I had the possibility to be near my children and to take care of them myself. Our children got older and um, we kept chickens and also uh, goats in our garden. When my fourth daughter was in grade one, I started to work. I got to work at a high school college teaching English, and I also worked for the town. So I taught at 15 kindergartens and nurseries in our town, and I taught English. So at that time, when My youngest daughter started school, then our life and family dynamics changed because, well, our children grew up and I started to work and we didn't have as much time at home anymore. And my oldest children, they got involved with extracurricular activities and my son played soccer and my daughter was a fast runner. She was on the running team. So from having spent a lot of time at home, our focus was more on helping the kids in school and with their activities.
1: So as I understand, um, you have one daughter who is abducted uh, currently in Japan, though you have four children. Can you tell us a bit more about when your daughter was abducted and what happened that day? And how is it that you know one child is abducted in Japan and the others are not? Yes. So basically
0: when my oldest daughter was one, Then I was pregnant with our son and I was in hospital because I suffered from toxemia when I was pregnant with my first daughter. I was severely affected and my daughter too. She was in, um, in intensive care, I think for six weeks and I was in hospital for five. My blood pressure rose, but luckily we're both fine now. But so when I was pregnant with my second child, our son, then I had to go into hospital because of complications and they kept a close look on me. And so when my blood pressure rose again, I had to go in. And I remember this one situation very clearly when I was away from my daughter. My mother-in-law looked after her and they came into hospital to, to visit me, to see me. I was there for a couple of days only and then I got discharged. And I remember they coming up the stairs at the Kumamoto University Hospital and they came in through the elevator and my daughter was playing. She came running towards me and my mother-in-law said, look, we'll see him she be running towards. And my daughter then had just spent some time with my mother-in-law and gotten a lot of ice cream. So she ran towards my mother-in-law, her grandma, instead of me. That might not seem like such a big deal, but because she was my only child at the time and I was upset. And now when I think back at it, it was just outrageous how she could have said something like that. Um, But that's something that happened. And things like that have happened later all the time. So that my mother-in-law wanted to be this person in my daughter's life and so when I was giving my children brown rice and vegetable soup my grandma would say we will go and have hamburgers and ice cream so (laughs) as as the children grew older they came to appreciate my ways and my way of thinking but when they were small It was this constant stress for me trying to raise my children the way I wanted. And also something else that I can point out at this time is that my husband at the time wasn't involved with raising the children. So that also made it extra difficult for me since I was uh, on my own and my husband had no understanding whatsoever when I talked about these issues. And something else that I remember as well very clearly was that my son, when he was in kindergarten, he got a game set from my mother-in-law because all the boys had them. But I had said, no, we're not going to use those uh, game sets because I wasn't in favor of them. Uh, But she still came to give them uh, to my son, who, of course, started to play. That's a bit what our family life looked like at the time.
1: Was your husband that abducted your daughter? No, it wasn't.
0: He, of course, has the judicial right to say that I want to raise my daughter so he can do that. He's sanctioning this process. But it was my mother-in-law who, when my daughter was 18 that my mother-in-law rents or she has an apartment, a flat, and that's where my daughter is now, but I don't know where she is.
1: Okay, so can you tell us a bit more just so our listeners have a good understanding? So was there a breakup in in the family? Was there, uh, you and your husband, I assume filed for divorce and then what happened yes
0: so what happened was that basically i think when i started to work i'm not sure exactly but my husband and i we weren't from that time on basically we were not friends anymore and i think it's because i expected us to have a more equal relationship so because I worked full-time, I was away and we had a very hectic schedule, dropping the kids to practice and to, to cram school, etc. As everyone knows, who's lived in Japan. So from that time on, I... Expected a change and this change didn't come about. I was just working constantly. So we were not happy. We were arguing and that was affecting the children. But I knew that it wouldn't be, an, it wasn't an option for my husband to let me move out or that he would move out because that's not how it's done in his family. So basically, I felt that I had no choice. So. What happened was that we stopped talking, and I just continued to to take care of the kids. And then at one point it was awful, and and I decided this is not going to work because my children will think that this is the way family life is. And when they get married, they might do the same with their partner. So I felt I had a responsibility and there wasn't anything else to do but to separate. And so that happened. This was what it was like when my oldest daughter dropped out from high school. And basically before that, There were different things that happened. But my mother-in-law started to make financial decisions for us and also decisions affecting uh, my children's schooling. And I knew I would never, ever accept that. So basically, I told my mother-in-law that this is not how it's going to be. And my daughter moved in with her grandparents when she uh, left school. And I had said that you're not leaving school before we have set up a meeting with the teachers and your coach and, and us to discuss and look at this problem and why you, you don't want to continue. So at the same time, when my daughter then was abducted, she left her grandparents' house and she moved into an apartment without me knowing. And that happened at this time in our life when our
1: family life was not working. So your daughter, she was a minor. I believe the age in Japan is actually 21. It's not 18 like many countries around the world, correct?
0: Yes, that was in 2018 when she had just been a high school student for a couple of months.
1: Okay, so she was quite young. Um, And what was your husband's involvement in this or his reaction to this? Basically, he
0: wasn't involved at all except for uh, just agreeing with his mother.
1: Okay, so right now your daughter is living with the grandmother, is that correct? And you have no contact with her? Actually,
0: she first stayed with her grandparents and then she moved into an apartment that I I heard about that from a friend. And yes, we haven't spoken since February 2019. And the greater problem is that she is still not in school. And I know that there were other uh, family members who wanted to go and see her, but my ex-mother-in-law said no. So she's not seeing any uh, friends of our family, nor uh, her brother, who is in Kumamoto in the same town. And I know that I've heard from her Instagram account that she, of course, uh, mentally is very ill.
1: Yes, of course, we hear time and time again, just the physical and emotional impact this has on young people, especially at this very sensitive, you know, age, transitioning into adulthood or just becoming adults, where most young people are very sensitive without having to go through such situations. So after your daughter decided to move out when she was still a minor to go live with her paternal grandmother. Uh, what was your reaction and what did you try to do to, to stop her or to to stop the grandmother to get her to come back home?
0: When she was in her last year of secondary school, she wanted to go and uh, campus stay in, in Tokyo because she wanted to go to a high school in Tokyo. And I said, no, you can't do that. You have to go to a high school more locally. And at that time, my Mother law bought tickets and they left for Tokyo anyway. And so this was one of the times when she interfered directly with my daughter's schooling and her academic education. And I was not going to tolerate that. I knew that at the time. So I basically said, you can't do that. My husband said, let them go. So my hands were tied. There was nothing i can do my request in terms of my my daughter and her welfare was plainly ignored and there was no one who in his extended family who would help then she ended up going to another high school but she wanted to drop out so uh, after just the first couple of months and at that time as well i said no and i talked with the teachers but Basically, my husband said she has already, uh, that's our decision. And uh, that happened as well. And she went then uh, from living at the school in the dormitory to her grandparents' house. And that was 2018. In August, I said that now the summer holidays is over and my daughter will come home and live with us. My mother-in-law at that time said, do you know why she doesn't want to come home? And I made a phone call when my son was practicing soccer and I was shaking in the car because uh, then I realized that she's not coming home. So to answer your question, there was nothing I could do. I realized I knew that I wasn't going to accept it. So After then a couple of months since my husband nor my family helped, I started to look for help from elsewhere and I got in contact with lawyers whom you could see and uh, I talked with the school. They have these uh, so then madoguchi, so centers where you can uh, go and talk if you have problems and uh, they have so many phone numbers in Japan. You can call the regional office, you can call the town office, you can call the city office and you can ask for advice in terms of these kinds of situations and I noticed that there were only these these lists with phone numbers but the people do not help you at all my daughter also got to see a um, psychiatrist at the university hospital in Kumamoto, but he was not going to interfere. He There was nothing he can do when I said that this is a problem. It's a problem that my mother-in-law is pretending that she gets to be my daughter's uh, mother. So uh, these are the ways I try to reach out.
1: So does that mean that, that your ex-mother-in-law is effectively making all like, let's say, medical education decisions for, she's consenting on all that for your daughter. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. So my mother-in-law didn't approve of us, of my daughter and me going and seeing the psychiatrist because as she put it has because that's embarrassing. She's not very educated. And so she took my daughter's social security card, and uh, she swapped places with somewhere else. And so my daughter goes for her mental well-being. She goes to talk with some other profession and I don't know where. So yes, that's exactly what happened.
1: So I know in, in Western countries, especially the United States, there's a big problem of runaway children. So if you actually look at, for example, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website in the U.S., most children that go missing are actually runaways. So how is this a bit different than a situation of a runaway teenager? Why would you consider this the abduction of your daughter?
0: In terms of of Sweden, my own country, this would not happen because a grandmother doesn't have the legal rights of of a parent. So this would not happen. And my mother-in-law is providing food and making these decisions that we should make as parents together with our daughter. So it's not the question of her just simply having run away. As for the reasons why this happened and my mother-in-law's question to me in the car, in August four years ago, I've been thinking, number one, my oldest daughter was uh, very affected by how we communicated at home and are arguing. Therefore, because of that situation, I was really happy when she got accepted to this uh, high school and to live in a dormitory. Yeah, she left our town and I knew that that would be very good for her. And then I also think a second reason, I think she left for her grandma because her grandma let her make the easier decisions. So she said, I want to quit high school. And her grandma said, yes and while I said no we have to have a meeting instead and your dad and I are going to be near you and support you and we need to understand why you feel this way and what you're going to do instead and if the teachers and your coach can help you out so that you don't have to uh, leave school but maybe we can adapt the situation and the the environment towards uh, better your needs so That's the second point. Uh, I think my daughter was too nervous that she felt so much pressure maybe to be perfect. And then, yes, possibly also uh, a number three. I think she was, unfortunately, she was used to being just handed everything on a gold plate by her grandma. So instead of living with us, she... Ended up, of course, um, very unfortunately, living with her grandma who just said, what are you going to do now and "And how are you going to do that? Instead of with us and growing up normally with rights and responsibilities that you learn in in a functioning household and
1: family. And in Japan, is there any legal action that you can take uh, to to basically get your daughter back? Or you could have taken... I mean, I guess she's still a biner, so you could take it now. You could have taken immediately to try and get her back at home with you. No,
0: because the first time I consulted a lawyer in our town, he told me uh, to my face that this uh, getting your daughter back, that's raising your daughter. Uh, that's not a decision that you can make, only your husband. That's what I was told. And I also consulted a female lawyer in Kumamoto City, so not in our town. And she basically said, you need to run away with your daughters and because then you will be the custodian if you do that for the next coming years. And I pointed out that I can't do that because my family home is not in Japan. I have nowhere to go. And then later, now I have uh, another lawyer who's trying to work with us. And the only option he has suggested is a Hague court case uh, that costs too much money. And as we already know, the chances are slim that Japan adhere to,
1: to such a, a decision. I'm glad you point out. I hear time, time, time and time again that it's the system in Japan that is really feeding and driving parental abduction just as you said a lawyer basically advised you to abduct your own children and that's that's what's happening every day in japan because the system is flawed and it's only allowing for sole custody and then i also just want to point out what you mentioned about the hague because in in recent talks with embassies in japan i've been told that they are quite content with the situation of parental abduction in Japan and believe that is going down because hey cases are going down and just as you rightly mentioned, hate cases are too expensive and ineffective for most parents. So I guess Maria, it basically comes down to the fact that your husband is allowing this to happen and there's no way for you to hold your your mother-in-law accountable for abducting your your daughter. Is it now that your daughter is also on that family registry? Because if people don't know Japan and the system in Japan, what happens with a child when they're removed from one house to another, if they're registered on that new family registry of the household, then that's where where they're considered to be living and belong. And that's how many parents get away with parental abduction is physically moving a child to a new location, registering their child, almost like you're moving a car or a piece of property, to be quite frank. So has your daughter been moved to the to the grandmother's family registry?
0: Exactly. That's what happened. And that happened while we were still married.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I just also want to remind our listeners, so this seems shocking, but this is not the first, and probably will not be the last story I hear of grandparents and usually grandmothers, to be honest, uh, kidnapping children in Japan. So a lot of people might assume, you know, parental abduction must happen by a parent, But there are plenty of cases of grandparents doing it to the children in Japan as well. So, Maria, you have three other children. I know two of those children now live with you in Sweden. And you talked already about how this has affected your your daughter, the daughter who's been abducted, her mental well-being. She's dropped out of school, so her access to education is gone. Her access to health care is limited based on what the grandmother believes is right for not her daughter, but her granddaughter. What has been the impact on your, on your children who have lost a sister, their big sister?
0: First, I just wanted to point out to you that in terms of lawyers, I also contacted the Kumamoto uh, court, uh, family court. And first we had a couple of sessions of Chotei, uh, which are uh, mediation. They're called Enman, which basically means that you meet up to discuss. And for these two sessions, I drove down, it's quite a long drive, and I had made these plans and my husband was formally called on to come down. And I took time of work, but he didn't come uh, because he didn't want to discuss our daughter's future. And at this time as well, when I got to talk with a lawyer at the Kumamoto Family Court, and I had for then two occasions and several hours been discussing what what was happening. The first question the lawyer asked me was, why do you want to see your daughter? So he didn't ask me, why is grandma taking care of the daughter? He asked me, why do I want to see my daughter? So that was to answer your question on what I tried to do and what I was able not to accomplish. And that's still shocking. And it should be shocking to most Japanese as well. And that's the political current uh, system. And it's not something that they talk about. It's not something that I knew of. And it's not anything that I was told uh, during my four year as an undergraduate, nor anything that I've been the embassies or councils are ever pointing out. So Yes, I wanted to say that. And as for your next question on my children and their well-being and the effect this has had on them, of course, I think the greatest effect is on my oldest daughter who hasn't seen her siblings. And as you pointed out, it's a very difficult and important time of development when you're a teenager and your social life which comes with school is extremely important and of course family life too and now my daughter is in in the situation where she is not seeing anyone and she still apparently says that she has no parents and so my child, number three, sometimes talk with my oldest daughter on the phone. But she is doing these uh, three years since we left for Sweden. It's difficult for her because she also hears that she's not doing well, that she says things that are strange and, uh, and she worries about her. Our youngest daughter, who is now 12, she is upset because her sister doesn't want to talk with her and She's old enough now to understand that she's not well and it's not uh, her sister's fault. And she worries about her. I try not to talk about it, but I know that my oldest daughter's my, her state of mind, her well-being is doing very poorly. So basically, I keep busy. I don't talk about it. And I go out running when I become nervous. My son in Japan understands he was doing his last year in secondary school when we left for Sweden. And he now, I think, partly understands and can look at the situation from the outside. And he's not happy with what his grandma has done. But I think he tries to stay healthy and focus on his work, his studies, and he has great friends. To answer your questions, my family here now, we all feel a little bit better after these three years in Sweden. But when we arrived here, it was uh, for me like having a plastic bag on, on my head. I didn't see anything. I couldn't understand what was going on. I didn't talk with anyone for basically the first year year. And now I've read so much and I also can have a perspective to this. And I know that I want to continue with my studies and I want to write about this social problem in Japan. And I feel that every step forward to do that is a step in helping my daughters and of course other children even though my focus is on my daughter, just because I don't have so much energy at the moment.
1: So I know that Sweden is really known around the world for being very progressive when it comes to human rights, to social development issues. Have the Swedish authorities done anything to to support you and to try and get you reunited with your daughter? No.
0: In terms of child support, it's possible to make a parent pay if it's within a EU country. And in terms of a human rights lawyer, for example, well, the foreign office, they offer no personal assistance. They just refer to the Hague Convention, which is, of course, not helpful if you don't have that money.
1: It's very, very disappointing to hear. Have there been other organizations, people or entities you've reached out to support you who have disappointed you, have been unable to provide you and your daughter with the support you need?
0: We have been in contact with the Swedish embassy in Tokyo, but I have to do more work with them. I mean, they don't know very much about it, but, but it's becoming a topic that is more I mean, since after the work that is happening uh, within the EU and in Brussels, and since the issue was brought up by uh, the French pres- president, Macron. So it's not a topic that they, which they don't know anything about. But no, there is not much interest, even though, of course, that is something that they should focus on.
1: So Maria, we're often contacted by my parent uh, by parents who haven't had their children abducted. Uh, but our a great fear that it's going to happen. If you look back on this, this three years, I guess, three plus years that you've gone through this experience and been without your daughter, is there anything you would have done differently if you'd have the chance? Well, that's a
0: difficult question. As you know, in Japan, there isn't so much you can do except staying active and push for change. Because maybe you are in such a situation where your child is taken away, and you can't stay in a relationship. That can be the case, and as we know, the law is not on your side. But I think personally, as I know, uh, Doctor Baker writes about. She says that in this situation, the parent, as opposed to the alienating parent, the alienated parent often doesn't know. Maybe boundaries or doesn't understand how important she or he is. And I think, had I put my foot down earlier, this might not have happened. But that's my personality, my character. I didn't do that. But I feel that knowing what to accept is something that a skill that I try now to teach my own
1: children because it's so important. So in your opinion, if there were, let's say like three things that should be done, whether that be by you know foreign governments, Japanese authorities, or even society in Japan to get your daughter returned and also all other children um, who are at risk of being abducted or already have been abducted, what would be those like three action points that you think, or maybe less than three, I'm not sure, that are really crucial to change for Japan?
0: Yes, I don't know the law necessarily needs to change in Japan because I think it is in place and they have signed the human convention on the right of the child. But these laws have to be implemented and they have to be followed. And as my lawyer said, it's not illegal for a grandma to change her grandchild's address. It is illegal, but it's not punishable, as he said. So that's clearly a problem because if there had been laws that were recognized in my situation and in my oldest daughter's situation, then this would not have happened. And then number two, as has been said too uh, on this program, people have to talk about this in Japan. And it's not easy because as a very close friend of mine uh, pointed out, uh, you are criticizing Japan when you bring this up. And I told her that, well, I don't really care. My daughter's health is my responsibility and I don't care much for the reputation of Japan. But she couldn't see that or she doesn't see it that way. So it's something that Japanese, of course, need to discuss because we all have to put our children first and their health first. And I have learned now that that's not in everyone's interest. And then that was shocking to me because I thought that must just be the base, the ground where we're all standing and from where we make decisions. But I know now that that is not the case. I have uh, another friend, she was a very close friend of mine and she told me that it's just all good what grandma is doing because she said, well, my daughter apparently has been, she did some work at the time of uh, the national handball tournament, I think, uh, in Japan a couple of years ago. I don't know how she can say that my children are not important when she takes care of her own children. So there are much aspects to this uh, issue. And I think we just have to continue to talk about it and to raise awareness, as you're saying, in order to move forward.
1: And do you also think that, as many of our listeners know, Japan is one of the few countries in the world that does not have uh, joint custody or even more so joint parental authority after divorce. So in Japan... Parents, of course, can agree to joint custody and authority on their own voluntarily during divorce proceedings. But if it goes to the courts, it's rarely, rarely granted. It's, it's sole custody and sole parental authority. If Japan had a joint parental authority and custody law that was implemented correctly, do you think that it would have changed your situation and you would have been able to keep your daughter at home? Of
0: course, absolutely. There's no question about this. That was part uh, of the problem. And one more... looking ahead in terms of this issue, I think Japan also needs the system where the parents are in charge and not grandparents. Because uh, in today's society, most of the time they are not suitable to look after grandchildren. It's a fast changing world. And also it's just not their rights.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you talked a bit about this earlier about kind of the emotional toll it's had on you. So what would be your advice to parents? What are the types of things that you do to, to basically handle that emotional toll that the situation is having on you? What would be your advice to other parents going through a similar situation?
0: Well, um, Thank you very much for your question. I don't know if I'm the right person to give advice, but as for me, and as I know, Mr. Vincent Fisher also pointed out, he said that everyone can do different things and you have to find your own way and see what suits you, what you can do. And I think for me, because I know Japanese and because I like to study, I want to do research on this topic. And uh, I'm studying now Swedish teaching diploma. And I want to continue and I want to look into what schools can do to help Japanese children who are in this situation. So that is something I can do. And that fits into my life with my children living here in Sweden. And I have just gotten to know another person in Sweden who has also been working with Find My Parent. And he is very active on social media and has done political work. And he has done that obviously very well. So I think that parents in this situation have to feel what they can do. And as I said, the first months I was here, I wasn't able to do anything. So I think time really helps. And of course, you should not give up. You have to stay healthy and every single step. You take for your children, it means that the other person who's done this is losing, the system is losing, and you and your child are winning.
1: Absolutely. So, Maria, if your oldest daughter is listening to this podcast, what would be your message to her? I want to say
0: that she is very important in our family, just like the other children. And she has to come back so that we can enjoy ice cream and strawberry cakes in the summer and enjoy the sun. And that we are here to help. And I know that she one day will be back in school.
1: Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing us more about your story was there anything that you want me to ask that I didn't get to ask anything else you want to share
0: I want to say
1: thank you to you your organization and also
0: other parents and mostly parents and their work their uh, activism that will drive changes make changes come about and I also I want to thank my family here in Sweden who have tried to be on our side and supported us without asking too much.
1: Thank you, Maria, for sharing your story with us today. This is a great reminder to everybody around the world that parental abduction also happens by grandparents and other relatives, and that we need to keep fighting for change in Japan and around the world. If you're a parent yourself or a family member who's been affected by parental abduction, I invite you to download our mobile app, which you can do so on your iPhone or your Android device. Using our latest technology, you can start looking for your missing relative, whether that be a child who's been abducted or your parent you've been taken from. You can also visit our website to get the latest resources and data on parental abduction and alienation. We have a comprehensive knowledge hub available in multiple languages an updated events page where you can find the latest events happening around the world, and a sign up for our parent support group where you can get help from other parents who are going through a similar situation. Also be on the lookout for our newest offering, a website for parents who want to make sure their children know they're looking for them and that they still love them. Even if you have no tech skills whatsoever, we can help you get that website up so your children know you're looking for them. And if you're interested in partaking in our advocacy efforts, I recommend you go to our homepage and check out our ambassador campaign targeting the new U.S. ambassador to Japan and other decision makers around the world. Please take a moment to sign the letter to Rahm Emanuel and other ambassadors in Japan and politicians around the world to make sure they stand up for our children. Thank you and stay tuned next week for another episode of Your Double. You can be just like me. You're double. Double. All you have to do is ask to see your family. You have so much to see. You're double.